Welcome to the second season of the Smarter Apple Spraying podcast series. I'm your host, Mark Gleason, a plant pathologist at Iowa State University. I'm also the leader of a USDA-funded research and outreach project that's looking for more efficient and lower-cost ways to protect apples against diseases and insect pests. The project includes scientists, students, and growers in Iowa and Ohio. Well, our guest today is uh, Keith Mason. Keith is uh, uh, a key player in a service um, entity called EnviroWeather, which is based out of Michigan State University uh, that uh, provides weather services, really key weather services to growers, particularly growers of specialty crops, but other crops as well. Um, so welcome, Keith, appreciate your taking the time to do this. So you're, you're an entomologist by training, um, and, you know, I happen to be a pathologist, so i you know familiar with, okay, for these warning systems, we need to take, uh, you know, things like uh, relative humidity and temperature and rainfall and things like that, sometimes wind speed. Um, but for entomology, are, are most of the models for predicting insect uh, timing uh, based on solely on temperature, or is there any other variables that go in? Pretty much it, it's all temperature and that, that's converted to growing degree days, which is kind of a, um, a summation of how much you've heat, heat you've had in a day. So it's, it's a way mm -hmm. to say how hot was it and for how long, you know, because right. you can look at the maximum temperature and the minimum temperature. But, you know, if you don't know when those happened or, you know, it, it could have been, you know, just one little spike and then a front came through or something like that, that, that can affect the, the way that degree days are, are calculated um, or the totals that you get anyway. Yeah. So, um, huh. so, yeah, that's, the, that's a way of kind of storing up how much or, or, or measuring how much heat is stored in um, really the insect that's developing because mm -hmm. temperature is really the, the driver of insect development, insect behavior. And a lot of that is, is really tied into temperature. I mean, there's some behaviors that work on um, day length, you know, so like the trigger for overwintering is a key by is keyed by the shortening um, day length. So fewer, uh, okay. fewer period. Right, exactly. Mm. So if an, uh. an egg is laid, and you know, there are 14 hours of sunlight, typically, you know, that that's kind of mid mid to late summer, yeah, you that's that um, if it's a, an insect that has multiple generations, that insect would develop into the, the next generation and not mm -hmm. go into winter, into winter, ah, basically. Right, so, right. so when the days get shorter, the insects know, and they're like, you know, if I, I'm going to just make myself overwinter and, and try this again in the spring instead of oh. being, um, you know, trying to, to get another generation in before harvest, essentially. I see, I see. So, so it's not, in a sense, what you're saying, it's not really just temperature, it's the time of year and the length of the photo period, all the things that the insects respond to. Um, uh, one thing I've already been, always been curious about, a lot of insects survive the winter and then they're a problem next spring. Are, are, there, are there predictive models to tell what their survival is over the winter? Does it, are there are there any such models for pest insects in, in uh, specialty crops? 
There, um, well, I mean, I know there's research that's been done that is working towards um, that sort of thing. And, and I would use spotted wing drosophila as the, uh, the, uh, the example. And that's a, um, a pest in a, a lot of fruit crops, actually. Thin skin mm -hmm. fruit is very susceptible to this, this fly, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, we can, it, it's really hard to tell when it starts getting active early in the year because uh, the numbers are pretty low. Oh. Um, so, um, or, or at least that's what we think, you know, cause we don't catch them in traps, but, um, that the, the, the number that emerge in the spring is, is based on, um, or, or there's evidence for the number of days that are below, uh, freezing ah. in, in the soil where they are in, okay. in, their, in their environment. Um, you know, the more days you have below, uh, freezing the, the less likely you're going to have insects emerge. Ah. Oh, because that's interesting because in those situations where the insects are coming out of the soil, it's not just exactly a degree day model then, it's more like a soil temperature model, right? They're right, exactly. That is where they're they're getting uh, their their energy from is the the heat of the soil. So, uh, you know, it is. I guess you could you can calculate growing degree days from soil temperature too. Uh, uh, most right. of it's done by air temperature because it's easier to measure. Of course, <laughs> you know, it's really the the really right. the the deal. Um, sure. But also, you know, here related to this, the amount of snow cover is going to have uh, an, an impact because uh -huh. that essentially keeps the the ground um, and the leaf letter the the leaf layer um, at 32 degrees if there's a if there's a sufficient you know snow layer on the ground which protects the insects actually so for um, times where we we have mild winters with a lot of snow we tend to have higher insect populations certainly in the in the springtime so it's oh, a, something yeah. to, to be watched to, to watch out for in in any crop basically this is kind of a universal type thing um not just fruit but yeah all all, all insects would would have that and and grapevines as well you know that's a, a big deal that we've been seeing up here a lot of the oh. vines are are the trunks are dying because they're up above the snow layer uh. and so those have died off um and uh but the the roots and hopefully the the um the scion has or, or the the um the top part of the the vine has actually um has survived so that that right. will regenerate you know other shoots because um uh. you know it one of the wonderful things that I learned with this was mostly in juice grapes, but a, a grower told me, Keith, you got to work pretty hard to kill a grapevine. Oh, <laughs> so, well, you know, a couple of my experiments did try really hard, but. <laughs> oh, well, that's really interesting. You know, I have heard of traditional grape growers sometimes laying their vines down. You know, I mean, that's an extremely laborious thing to do and then put them back up, of course. Um, I, I, you know, that's just it, it, what's interesting to me uh, uh, regarding EnviroWeather is that um, your your models are, uh, you know, doing more than entomology and pathology. They're doing all these sort of, uh, um, you know, plant based predictions, too. Right. I mean, they're, they're, oh, the, absolutely. The, yeah. The response yep. of the plant independent uh, of the insect and disease. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we have crop development models, essentially, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, like apple maturity, there's an apple maturity model that, uh, um, that uh, folks can use. It, it's really just three varieties, I think Macintosh, 
um, Ida and um, Jonathan, I believe, okay. are the, okay. the three that we have. Well, actually, no, not the Ida. It's um, it's Red Delicious. Oh. So that kind of is, you know, an okay. early, middle, late kind of um, bloom and harvest date. Okay, so, and so, so that, those, that will help you thin. Probably. That'll help you thin, absolutely. Time, timing of your application of your thinner and also timing of harvest. Yeah, well, it predicts when when harvest date is, is ah, going to okay. occur and that, it. Mm -hmm. that we need a, you know, I think a, a month worth of data after bloom to to kind of get I that see. model going. So I see. you need kind of a, a trajectory to come from from that. It, it, it can days. look it can look ahead, but not from April and March. You have to look ahead from like May or June. Yeah, okay. right. Exactly. Yep, I, yep. See. I yep. see. I see. I see. Um you know, I had this interesting conversation with um, Kara Cox, who's a pathologist over in Cornell, about NIWA, you know, and that's a system that gets used a fair amount over mm -hmm. there and, and a few other places. Um, you know, if you, uh, could you kind of just for, for growers, could you kind of contrast those two systems? There's the Environmental Weather System and the NIWA system. And, uh, you know, of course, they're out there, weather services, both of them. But, but could you kind of contrast those for people? Sure, sure. That in... Um... From the outside, they're they're very similar. We we do a lot of the same things um, because we both are are regions that um, have high specialty crop um, acreage, um, and you know the um, the agricultural universities basically are you know working towards developing models and and things like that. Um, so and the the newest system actually in viral weather is. Well, we're um, we're collaborators with, with oh, NUA. We're so you could actually you could view EnviroWeather stations on the NUA network. Oh. So the NUA network has Michigan stations in there. So that's oh. a that's so you could compare their models to our models if if you wanted to. Um, and they're I mean, models sometimes. Well, we haven't done that. Model? There's talk of doing that. And, and oh. probably what what we're going to try to do is to actually just make a data connection between the two. So oh. uh, so NUA would connect to our database. Well, they're already doing that, essentially. So um, but we're we're working on software to, to bring in um, data actually from private weather stations. So from these little uh -huh. personal kind of oh. backyard weather stations uh -huh. that that um, I know we, we probably want to talk about a little bit here um, in a minute, but um, yeah, we have been. Um, we're we're one of the states that that's part of of NUA, uh, and we actually get support from the Michigan Apple Committee to be a part of NUA because there are oh. a couple of tools that NUA offers. One is a, a pollen a pollen tube growth um, oh, okay. model, also uh, apple or carbohydrate thinning, and one uh, for apple irrigation, especially for, for uh, new plantings. Uh, uh, and we, we don't have those tools, but our growers uh, want them. <laughs> so basically, we, we set up um, a, a connection between NUA system and, and our databases so they can extract our data and run it through their models. So, uh, um, so it was really designed to for those particular ones for for our growers but we basically have access to to all of the models that are on uh on NUA at that point you're listening to the smarter apple spraying podcast series i'm your host mark gleason our three-year project is searching for more profitable and less wasteful ways to control diseases and pests on apples now back to our interview 
Okay, so so you guys communicate a lot and you collaborate a lot. And I, I suppose, I mean, from an outsider standpoint, it looks like both systems are probably benefiting from each other, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, you, I, I think that um, you might think that it's competition, but it's healthy. It's, it's, you know, yeah, yeah, we yeah. know what mm -hmm. you have mm -hmm. and you know mm -hmm. what we have because yeah. we're, we're, we will share, you know, we'll, we'll definitely actually when um, uh, we've, we've been meeting with NUA to um, talk to them about how they run their network because uh, we want to do a similar thing here. We, I mentioned uh -huh. that we're, we're all Campbell weather stations now. Right. Right. But you can't afford to put one of those in your backyard no. for, for the average person. And fr frankly, um, they're a little hard to use for the average person, too. That's abs yeah, absolutely right. So but there are a lot of um, good quality um, mm -hmm. commercial grade weather stations that, mm -hmm. you know, they, they cost a lot less. They might not mm -hmm. last exactly as long. They might need, you know, some more maintenance. But um, the acuity of the sensors and the reliability of the data look to be good, you know, to, mm -hmm. to bring into EnviroWeather. So, oh, okay. um, so one of the things that I've done, well, this was actually last year, is we, we wrote a proposal um, to our project, Green, um to develop a system that will allow us to bring in these this personal weather station data oh, okay. so that we can then you know it would look just like an, another station but it would be location specific for whoever owns that station or whoever's you know in the immediate vicinity because one of the things that we're going to make um uh, mandatory is that they share the data this is uh -huh. basically the kind of the way that that NUA does it too so it's going to be you know things that that everybody can look at um, but in the other on the other hand we're trying to make this um, as as inexpensive as possible I see sure from, from our side I mean we have mm -hmm. some development costs and where uh, databasing costs and things like that but we're, we're trying to figure out a way to um, to, to keep it um, if not free, then at least inexpensive and and certainly worthwhile for for the growers in in uh, in our area. Mm -hmm. um, and there, uh, so you you mentioned Ohio, and um, you know it's similar in Illinois and and uh, mm -hmm. Indiana that um, particularly in the northern. Um, parts of those states there there's considerable specialty crop um, acreage there uh, and folks are are very interested in in getting on to EnviroWeather in in mm -hmm. some way or not so mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we have to investigate is how can we involve other states in this personal weather station network so that they're part of EnviroWeather basically so it's um, it is a uh, I mean, it, it certainly would be possible because essentially all the personal weather stations, they transmit their data up to the internet. And then we can, if they allow us to, to get that data, the, the weather station owner, we can pull that into EnviroWeather and then make it look like our data and run it through the models. So um, I see. So, so this, yeah, this would make EnviroWeather um, more usable for for other areas as well. So you know you I would see. have your own weather data to to go ahead and use. And I, I guess you would still be wrestling with the same issues you 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 described in detail before about I have more weather stations. Do I need more people to take care of the weather stations? Well, yes and no. Um, from the you know kind of the data gathering part. I think that's the yes, and and then for mm. you know coordinating that on the website, but the program um, 
and, and Nua is this way as well, the owner actually maintains the, the weather station. So we have to assume that their data is good. Um, and if we notice that it's not, we'll contact the station owner uh, and let them know. And if it's not, you know, fixed in a certain amount of time, uh, we'll have to disable that station so that folks aren't using erroneous data, essentially. So I see. So is this a challenge sometimes? I'm thinking, okay, I'm imagining I'm a grower. I don't have prior experience with weather monitoring. I want to put in one of these stations that you're talking about, sort of an intermediate cost station. I'm interested in getting that data to help me make decisions. Um, but if it breaks down or, or, or something's not right, um, I'm not, I might not have the tech, I might not have the expertise to fix it myself. So what am I going to do? So there's, there's customer service. So one of the um, parts of this project is we've purchased weather stations from uh, these manufacturers that growers have mentioned uh, that they have these stations, you know, um, they'll say, oh, I have a spectrum station. I got a Davis station. You know, mm -hmm. when are you going to, when are we going to be able to put those on? So we, mm -hmm. we collected um, kind of a impromptu survey of what stations growers have and also okay. the stations that are available in NUA and then also mm -hmm. Washington State University Ag Weather Net they right. have a very similar system to you um, yeah. to, to to us and to NUA actually oh, so they oh. they do allow private weather stations and they have a tier system so that's ah. you know, tier one is the you know the uber big tower stations and Got then it. tier two are the three meter stations and then oh. tier three are these personal stations so so it gives us more data it um and it you know it gives site specific kind of um predictions or or at least sure. more so than than a station that's 10 miles away sure uh, yeah. so so we've looked at at um so the the stations that we're looking at there's meter group and davis so those oh. are two that that washington state is using i see and then rainwise and hobo uh -huh. are two that NUA uses and then we've also added spectrum in because we've got several growers that have spectrum stations now and you know they're interested in joining the program so so what we're doing now is we've set them up in a test bed so it's basically all in one location where ah. we have one of our ah. candle stations uh -huh. and we're, we're pulling the data from those stations to um, work to basically develop the software that'll allow us to do that and then make it look like EnviroWeather's database. You know, we have to kind of have all the all the columns have to be the same name. You know, I air see. temperature has to be air temperature. Uh, it can't be a same, temp. Same or, order. Same order. And exactly. Everything. Right. So it's it's a lot of bookkeeping kind of stuff, I guess. Yeah, so I can imagine. What a challenge. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad we have programmers that do that kind of stuff because <laughs> yes. it makes my it's it a, makes my head spin. It'd be it'd be endless. So if you're looking ahead, you know, you've talked about uh you seem like seem like you're in a period of change and expansion for EnviroWeather and its and its allies. So, so what are the biggest challenges would you say that's facing EnviroWeather? Well, at, at the core, um staffing is is always an issue. I mean, it's um, we were lucky that we had all this institutional knowledge that mm -hmm. um, the people that built EnviroWeather are the ones who manage it. Uh, right. um, that was until December 31st. Now our field operations manager is retired. He's, you know, he put in his 25 years. That's, okay. you know, wow. he, he should start enjoying his life, perhaps. Uh -huh. yes. but, but we don't have a replacement yet. 
so um, you know we're in the interview process to get the, I see. the person that can go out to the field and kind of you know organize mm -hmm. the students and yes. and the, the tasks that need to get done so so we're kind of in in the middle of that process I see. Um, and then you know we, we definitely need more database help so right now we can uh, um, essentially keep our heads above water is, is the I way see. that I see it so see. you know adding new stations or new features or things like that take longer than I'd like and certainly longer than our users would like because oh, we're yes. we're a little bit limited in in our staffing now but I'm finding some money <laughs> so oh. that's that's kind of part of my job too uh -huh. um, so we're we're able to um, well, we have to convince our college that it's enough money to hire somebody permanently mm -hmm. so um, so those are are you know administrative things that that we're faced with and you know it's been very difficult to get new positions at, at Michigan State and, and I think through most universities as well you know yeah. being with the hiring freezes or, or chills that go on that went on here in the pandemic oh, yeah. um, so that you know that kind of slowed things down uh, and and as we're you know we're going to be training a new person this year to do all the field stuff so oh. we're trying not to commit to a lot of new field work it's it's basically going to be a maintenance year and let's let's learn the system and, and that see. kind of thing so well uh, i good good luck in finding that uh, person because that's uh, that's kind of a special glue sort of person isn't it you betcha yeah and there's yeah yeah and the guy that we had i mean he he's the reason we have cellular communication because uh, he, he developed a system uh, everything was modems on landlines oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or or you know through through radar or, or through um yeah through uh through radar connections basically yeah. or, or you know radar telemetry so yeah. yeah so that you know we we've come a long way um yes. and you yes. know he just knew the stations like the back of his hand which yeah. he's going to actually contract with us to do some training oh, fantastic. and to do fantastic. and to do um hey you know this is this is the way that i would look at this diagnostics issue okay. so so we're staying connected the, um the intellectual know. capital is not lost right exactly fantastic. yeah yeah fantastic. so that's that's going to be helpful for us for for sure so we we, well, we definitely need need that well i appreciate your taking the time keith this has been really interesting and I personally have learned a lot about Enviro weather, and hopefully, uh, this is something that uh, growers pick, can pick up on. And uh, just seeing the uh, the growth of these stations, how they work in uh, uh, systems, and how they work, and how they how they work together, I think is is um, is really really encouraging for for growers to know that there's there's kind of layers of of um, of quality control and layers of reliability, and and the and the 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 slow but constant addition of weather stations. Those are all really encouraging developments. I think. Thank you. Yeah, 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 we we keep busy. <laughs> There's no doubt, doubt about that. that. <laughs> I don't doubt that for a moment. That, and, I, if, I really... and if we if we don't, <laughs> we'll have growers telling us. <laughs> Actually, oh, I was sure. I was going to say often we find out a station is down first from a grower. <laughs> uh huh. So that's uh -huh. that's a you know it well. it is um it's it's a challenge, but oh, we yeah. certainly we certainly appreciate the feedback we get from our users as well. Oh yeah, and that stuff happens out there, right? I mean, uh, I've. Uh, I've gone to a grower's farm one time when I had a Campbell station set up in a in a field where he was cultivating. It was tomatoes. He was cultivating, and the and the tines caught the the wires, and and um, so at the end of the at the end of the row was the uh, 
was the data logger, you know, the big square box and, and all the wires trailing behind oh it, like <laughs> kind of like the Christmas tree, you know, that was thrown out, you know. And, <laughs> oh, so, my I mean, goodness. I, uh, it's amazing. I, I think, I'm sure you have a million stories there, you know, about things that, that happen, you know, it's just uh, out there in the environment stuff happens. Yes, yes, it's it's tractor blight. <laughs> yes, that's a good way of putting it. All right, Keith, well, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the second season of the Smarter Apple Spraying podcast series. You can find more episodes in this series at our website. The link is www smartappleSpray.plantpath.iastate.edu. The host for the series is Mark Gleason. Jose Gonzalez is the editor. The Smarter Apple Spraying podcast series is funded by a grant from USDA's Crop Protection and Pest Management Initiative. For more information about the two-state project, contact either Mark Gleason at mgleason at iastate.edu in Iowa or Melanie Lewis Ivy, ivy.14 at osu.edu in Ohio.